Mesdames et messieurs, bienvenue à I Don't Get It, <laughs> the pop culture get off my lawn cast, wherein two early to mid 40s curmudgeons with bad French accents uh, stare down. I forgot. My, my little side joke makes me forget my usual pattern. Uh, stare down the prospect of our entertainment irrelevance. I am your uh, co host and uh, French student as recently as 1994. Uh, Noah Tarno, uh, senior quiz master, founder, producer of The Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show Spectacular, and with me from the opposite side of these United States. Je m'appelle Guillaume. Je voudrais fromage, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> Is that the limit of your French? I would like. No, to actually, I, I know I've been to France. I've been to France enough that I know I know a little bit more than that, but not much more though. All right. Well, you know, foreign. We're Americans. Damn it! Who needs a foreign language? On this show, we look at something the youngsters are into and try to make sense of it. And today, we're going pretty young. Something that uh, is hot right now among the preteen set. I would say um, ages six to twelve or thirteen. It I'm is. Sorry, did you animated- say the, po- the poutine set? <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's not France. It's Canada, my friend. That's Big true. difference. That's true. Yes, you're right. I lived in French Canada. I know all, well, 20 years ago. I know all about this crap. All right. So today we're looking at a cartoon, an animated series, uh, most accessible to you, if you're listening to this, probably on Netflix. Uh, this show is officially titled Miraculous Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir, a.k.a. Miraculous Ladybug, a.k.a. in its native language, Miraculous Les Aventures de Ladybug et Chat Noir, which literally means Miraculous, The Adventures of Ladybug and Cat Noir. This is a cartoon. It was created in 2015 uh, by the French animated studio Zagatoon and Method Animation in concert with some studios in South Korea, Japan, and I guess some other places. Uh, and created by French illustrator Thomas Astruc. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, he also writes the episodes. And uh, we are now two seasons down, a third on the way, and it is the adventures of two Parisian teenagers, Marinette and Adrienne, who transform into the superheroes, Ladybug and Cat Noir, respectively. Uh, and they do this by using magical jewels known as, I guess, the Miraculous, but the opening theme song pronounces it as Miracles. Miracles, simply the best, up to the test when things go wrong. It gets stuck in your head very quickly. They're kind of average teenagers, and they use the the miraculous, which are, in Ladybug's case, a set of earrings that look like ladybugs, and in Cat Noir's case, a ring. And they transform into their superhero alter egos to protect the city of Paris from the evil forces of Hawk Moth, who is the villain, the mysterious villain, who uses his akumas, which are little evil butterflies. Akuma, I looked it up, is Japanese for demon. Uh, uses them to turn average Parisians, including some of Marinette and Adrian's friends and family, into temporary, turn them into one-off supervillains. Every episode's pretty formulaic. Uh, there's some Michigas with their personal lives in high school and their families, and then someone's in distress. So Hawkmoth uses the Akuma to turn him into a villain. The villain goes on a rampage. Ladybug and Cat War need to team up to stop the villain, and then everything gets wiped clean at the end. So uh, it debuted in France in 2015. It came to the U.S. only a few months later on Nickelodeon. Now on Netflix, as I said, uh, season two was split into two parts. Uh, the second half of season two just premiered a month ago on Netflix. Um, is distributed by the Walt Disney Company in some countries. And it's become a moderate hit. It's inspired an app video game, comic books. They had scheduled one of those live tours, you know, where a bunch of unemployed dancers and actors dress up in costumes and <laughs> run around on stage and parents 
you know, read their phones while the kid watches it for an hour and a half and there's an adventure. There's supposed to be a live tour of North America, but it was just canceled. It's supposed to start in March. Uh, it's going to be rescheduled. So uh, live action films in the works. There have been some webisodes that have plundered more the supporting cast. Seems like it's a moderate hit. Uh, and this was suggested by uh, Amanda Kudaswavy, right? Correct? Yeah. Guest of the show and, and friend of the program. Right. Former guest of the show, friend of the program. You know, and it appeals mainly, I would say, from what I read, to like ages 6 to 12, more or less. Bill, what do you think of this animated kid venture? I found it kind of charmless, only because really? it is mostly, like, it was not loathsome. It's just so <laughs> filled with tropes that have been swiped from other media that if you're the age group who's watching this thing my guess is you don't see all the source material recapitulated so nakedly that doesn't make it bad it just makes it tedious to me who can see all the references you know there's 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 pokemon in here you got some marvel comics you know you got um, we were talking about dial h for hero weirdly enough yeah. which is this comic book uh, property that goes back to the 60s and the idea that every single episode there's a shake and bake bad guy who's almost like created based on the caprice of whomever the uh, uh, the intended victim is and their powers vary from being a, an evil cupid to you know some other weird thing that just lasts for the course of one episode it doesn't look to me like much more than the the sum of its parts there's no greater whole and the animation is sort of samey samey you know amanda when she was on the show talked about princess elena which again i had mentioned before we went live is one of our big winners in terms of downloads obviously got a lot of seo off of that topic even though it might not be in our wheelhouse other people took note of it but there is a certain level of cg animation and a style book where these characters kind of look the same. I think I don't know what it is, but they create a model. Even to some degree, the wild crats that we talked about were the 2D version yeah. of this. The models are the same. There's this movement in animation where people are really sticking to the same character kind of designs. The animation, I should say, is different. The animation is the way the thing moves. They move great. It has to do more with the style. And if you get caught on what the characters look like, these are two lanky bodies. Two, a, a, a woman, a girl, I should say, and a boy. You know, it looks like they're... How old do you think they are, Noah? They're teenagers? They're 16 or 17. 16 or they're 17. They're in high school. They're yeah. in high school. So they have, they have a ch there's a chaste romance that's between the two. Oh, there's yeah, attraction. There's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of crushing going on. Sure. It's all, well, it's I'll all, get into that. There's several uh, interlocking, you know, love triangles. But yeah. And it's all bits and pieces that I've seen before. And I cared about when I was that age, it maybe meant more to me. But now I just sort of think of it as like formality. Formality or formula? Yeah, well, oh, yeah, I guess they're doing it because they yeah, have a, to do it. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's desultory yeah. in in some ways. Yeah. In a world where we can make cartoons like Steven Universe that are really weird and Adventure Time, things that might not I might not love myself, but are like pushing the needle on strange shit. And even for adults, like we'll go back to the Rick and Morty thing. Not that Rick and Morty is everybody's cup of tea, but you you have some weird shit that exists at the same time as there's a lot of this prosaic stuff. And the prosaic stuff to me seems even more prosaic simply because of the age that it inhabits. Like this narrative would have been at home in 1982. This was just as sophisticated as Masters of the Universe was, or My Little Pony, or Visionaries, or you know some of the more rudimentary G.I. Joe plots. That's why I kind of find it a little charmless. It's really tough to dial myself back to the intended age to see what I would have thought about, especially knowing what I like at that you. age. Yeah, especially me. Because um, <laughs> you, you hate children. Uh, yes, I hate all... <laughs> I hate children. So I don't know what, well, tell me how am I wrong here? Or how does your opinion vary from, from, how do you get something different out of it than me? I was more positive about it than you. I think this is not bad. Again, 
yeah, we got to put ourselves in a different mindset. This isn't made for us at all. Yeah, but but what do you um, find appealing? What do you find appealing about it? Well, I, I like, like the animation. I like the animation. First of all, I'll start with that. I like the animation. I think there's a sameness, and this kind of gets beyond the animation. This show is very formulaic. But formulaic isn't necessarily bad. This is kind of how I feel about rock and roll, too, is like there's nothing wrong with building a formula and then perfecting that formula or just within kind of narrow parameters giving us something enjoyable, right? And I feel Mm -hmm. like especially when you're aiming it at kids because they don't get the antecedents, because they've never heard of Dial H for Hero and everything else (laughs) you're you're referring to. You could say this is a way in to more classic types of storytelling. I mean, I can imagine a kid watching this and they're, they're not familiar with how cliche it is to have a love triangle. You know, so yes. maybe this is how they learn about love triangles and they use that knowledge to understand innumerable books and stories and movies that they're going to encounter for the rest of their lives. Not just the stories, but the animation I find formulaic, but in a good way. Yeah, all the bodies look the same, but I think the facial expressions are really expressive. The characters are very charming in that way. The way, the detail, the detail, they're not reinventing the wheel, but it's nicely done. I really like that this is French. I really like that this is set in Paris. This really feels refreshing. But it doesn't do they, anything with it, though. It doesn't use. What are Paris. you talking about? It doesn't do anything. She lives above. She lives above a boulangerie. Right, right. But I'm and, saying, and it, they're swinging from the Eiffel Tower. But you and could, they're grabbing on gargoyles at Notre Dame. But and they're down in in the metro. But it, you but don't it, get nostalgic for visiting Paris when you see this. No, oh no, my God. I don't. I look. I love Paris, ah, but I don't think they're. I think ah, it's set. It's set in Paris, but it's not about Paris. Do you think sixteen-year-old kids who live in Paris that their lives are about Paris? I do. No, I do. Their lives are. It's just it, it permeates their life, and it's nice to see a life that's permeated, you know, I, by so, Paris. You know, one of my notes here was about the, you know, we're obviously listening, unless, unless Noah, you can outdo me on this one. We both watched the English dub of these episodes that we did watch. Yes. And yes. it's so, you know, the voice track is what it is. It's, it's, this is like when we were watching the um, Death Note. You know, like, here's yes. something that's so endemically Japanese, and yet the voice actors are all Canadian and Californian. For that, I wondered, it's like, boy, am I losing something? Is, is there something, like, Japanese about this that's just getting tuned out because we're listening to these Californian trained voice actors. I almost wondered it's so middle of the road because these voice actors are so American, which obviously you have to. You can't. Kids aren't going to read subtitles. I get it. I might have done that at my age, but I was weird. But it's like with the kids acting and sounding so American, I found like the backgrounds just kind of washed away. It's just like they're running around in a sandbox, but they don't reference French culture at all, even even in a small way. I thought it was a nice detail. I smiled. Smiled. When I saw a ladybug pull a plug out of a socket, and it was the, and the yeah. socket was a European outlet. Well, I, I, I smiled. I mean, we and know now, great, yeah. that might mean jack shit to an eight-year-old who's never been to Paris. Yes, fine. It was a little thing that I love Paris. I mean, I don't want to say, oh, every year when I, you know, I've been to Paris four times in my life. Yeah, or me, me too. I get you. I, but I'm I have fond memories of it, and I love it. So, and they don't let you forget that. So there's that. Yeah, I think uh, I think the animation is good. The, every episode you see when they transform into Cat Noir and Ladybug, it's the same little you know ten second transformation scene. That's I think it's really yeah. kicky and fun and colorful. There's some really nice detail. Cat Noir. He's pretty much in like a Catwoman suit, like the Ed Brubaker 90s Catwoman suit, like the yeah. black leather thing. Yeah. But he's a boy yep. and he's got a little bell around his neck. I like that. The no, I, I, I like the fact that, that there's a gender fuck with the – Well, I'll get to that in a minute. I'll get to that yeah, in a minute. Yeah, okay, okay. The gender fuck. Uh, so it's formulaic, but it's charming. The characters are kind of cliche. Adrian, who becomes Cat Noir – 
he's a teenage fashion model. His dad is a monstrous fashion designer. His dad is cold and distant. But meanwhile, he's like the beloved misfit in high school. Like every girl's in love with him. So he's a bit of a cliche. Chloe is the mean girl. She's a cliche. You later discover by the end of season one, there's an old Asian dude who's responsible for giving them their powers. He's a cliche. But these characters are charming within the cliche-ness. Well, Mar- Marinette was not a cliche. Marinette is biracial, which the show, uh, the one thing it's I really now like. now a cliche at this What's point. that? But yeah, I think biracial doesn't break the mold anymore, but okay. Well, no, I mean. For, yes, her mother's for, Korean and her dad just appears to be French white guy. I don't know, Korean, maybe not Korean. No, her she's, Chinese. she's Chinese. She's Chinese. She's Chinese? Yeah. Oh, but but the well, fact is that was good. one of those things I really liked. It was it was thrown away. That's one of the. the yeah, the, it the, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. But, I, but the fact is that it was thrown away so coolly. I like it. That's, it's not yeah. like they it, they put it in there and you can score points with it. And the thing is, I don't know how I've been to the Chinatown in Paris in particular. I don't know. I've never been to any Chinatowns outside of Paris. But I do know that there's a lot of Chinese Parisians um, you know, yes. who, who are, in fact, trilingual. They all speak English, right. uh, Mandarin and French at the same time. So it's a nice detail. Yeah, um, yeah it is. Uh, Alia, who is uh, Marinette's best friend, Marinette, Marinette's best friend, has this just for no apparent reason, has this birthmark above her eye. And it's just this really, like, someone took the time to do that. Yeah, that's Just true. for the hell of it. Just to, to give this little touch of, like, because people have birthmarks above their eyes. You know, more of that would have been um, great. More of that would have been great. More of that would have been great, right. Yeah. The villains, it's villain of the episode. They're funny in the original. There's Mr. Pigeon who controls birds. There's Lady Wi-Fi who all her powers are connected to, like, things she could do with her phone, like videoing stuff and locking stuff. I feel like some real creativity went into this. And then you get at the other thing. There is love triangles and people pining after one another, but there is a refreshing spin on it. So in their secret identities, Marinette is in love with Adrian. Chloe, the mean girl, is also in love with Adrian. Adrian is kind of oblivious to both of them. But then Marinette turns into Ladybug. Adrian turns into Cat Noir and they team up, but they don't know each other's secret identities. While Marinette is in love with Adrian, Adrian's not in love with Marinette. Cat Noir is in love with Ladybug, Ladybug, but Ladybug couldn't care less about Cat Noir. So Marinette has this weird dynamic where as a teenage girl, she is just boy crazy and her whole personality seems to be centered on being in love with Adrian. How do I get him to notice me? Adrian is cool and doesn't care. But then Ladybug is cool and doesn't care. She's just all business. We got to stop these villains. And Cat Noir is the goofball pining after her. So you have this gender flip on the classic Superman, Clark Kent, Lois Lane love triangle. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yes. Clark's in love with Lois, but Lois is in love with Superman, not realizing they're one and the same. Here you have Marinette's in love with Adrian, Adrian slash Cat Noir is in love with Lady. Uh, yeah, I caught that. It did. It did make me think of Margot Kidder and uh, Christopher Reeve again. And yes, it's it's a spin on it, but at the same time, it's it's employing a lot of this. Side. I give us some credit for that. But again, it's a way in for kids. To it this. is a way in for kids, which is why. Look, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a handicap on my part, or I'm handicapping my own ability to get into it, just because I'm just getting so stuck on. 43 years of pop culture <laughs> fucking foie, right, well, foie gras piped down my throat you know like that's you, you gotta you gotta see pop culture from how people use it how people interpret it no yeah it, especially it, if you're it, a parent yes you do you have to yeah. do that many centuries ago magic jewels bestowing extraordinary powers were created these were the miraculous throughout history heroes have used these jewels for the good of the human race Two of these miraculous are more powerful than the others. The earrings of the ladybug, which provide the power of creation 
and the ring of the black cat, which grants the power of destruction. Bill, why do you think miraculous, miraculous? It's very confusing because it's miraculous. <laughs> but the song is miraculous. And in Hawkmoth, the villain refers to the charms. He's always trying to get the charms, and he refers to them as the miraculous. Yeah. So I like I had to write it down phonetically. So why do you think miraculous? Because we're Americans, damn it. Tales of Ladybug and Cat Noir. Uh, why do you think it's popular? Why do you think it's caught on? Why do you think it's a hit? Well, I mean, I could see that the Technicolor production aspects of it, the superheroism, the supernatural Pokemonism, again, all the things that you said the creator's name was Tama Astruk. I think that he was a little cynic, cynical and cunning when he built this thing. I think that he sure. designed. I think he designed it from numbers. He picked a lot of things that were successful in other media and tried to put it together, and and it, and it worked. You know, he managed to get this right mixture this melange of things that succeeded superheroes love triangles pokemons uh, of all this stuff comic books whether or not you know the references i mean at this point everybody does know pokemons you know everybody does know comic book characters because they're watching marvel comics movies you know or at least they're on in the background if they don't understand thor ragnarok they're at least familiar with the concept of watching superheroes run around shoot electric bolts at each other the animation style i think is very intentionally designed to mimic other cartoons of its like it is not spongebob it is more like princess elena uh and so the character model looks like it's all part of a family you're you're getting into the spirit of something that already exists so your barrier to entry is very low on this thing now our friend amanda friend of the program is her children i think are maybe three and a half something like that and so they're kind of too young for this now when she pitched this she says she was aware that the kids couldn't necessarily dig into the narrative, but I think she was saying, and Amanda, you can correct me post-game on this one if I'm wrong. The kids were obviously, you know, there's something about the kineticism, the the look of it, the dynamism, the mood, those things all appealed to a kid who were probably under seven. And from what I looked, I think that the suggested age was seven and up, seven and up to really get a comprehension. Obviously, there's a number of different things here that are going to appeal to younger kids. They're going to appeal to older kids. Maybe when you get past the age of 13 or 14, this just runs out. There's nothing else for you it's got to be something like you know you just hit your expiration date in terms of your references and you might want something more complex but this is definitely if you're six to eight years old this is probably right in your wheelhouse for very obvious reasons it's fun it's kicky like i say i think it's creative you know i think it it's like a good pop song it takes the formula and it finds a way to be authentic maybe not authentic but a way to be creative within the formula and that's especially good for kids because it's a way in training wheels for real stories you know or mm -hmm. stories yeah. with depth to them well it's a I comic find book a tour for me yeah well comics for that's why you want to look at the smart you know you want to find the kids who are going to grow up to be smart look at the kids reading comics i mean yeah. it's not now but when we were kids right so yeah i think it's you know it's good starter wheels for real stories it's a little preachy what was the episode oh the first episode had this preachy thing on the end i guess they got rid of that like the villain wanted to get rid of all adults and Ladybug had to say, no, adults protect children. We don't want to get rid of them. And I'm like, geez. But I guess I watched like five, six, five or six episodes and I didn't see that again. So I shouldn't even mention that. It's not reinventing the wheel, but it's building a pretty effective wheel. How about that? But master, it's a negative aura. I fear it may have gotten into the hands of a dark power. We must find Nuru and his miraculous. If it has gotten into the wrong hands, there's no telling what evil will come upon the world. Time to transform! Wait! Oh! oh, oh. <sighs>
Please, Master, be reasonable. You are still young. I'm only 186. So, Noah, when you were l'enfant, would you have... Uh, when I was the child? Would you have uh, gravitated to this material a little, little more strongly? Yeah, I think I would have. Um, and that gets to another thing. Even though this, on the surface, seems to be more a, quote, girl thing, there is a fair amount to appeal to boy here, boys here. Not just that. Cat Noir is clearly the secondary hero, but he's in the title of the show. So he's up there. So there is some boy appeal here, and it isn't too girly. You know, it's not saturated in pink, and there's the superhero action. So I think I might have liked it if I was the right age. I, I don't know if I ever told you this. You actually mentioned He-Man earlier, and I loved He-Man as a kid, but I think I liked She-Ra, Princess of Power, just as much. And it was on right after He-Man, and I'm not sure why. It might have been because the villains in that I thought were cooler. Hordak was a pretty nasty villain for a girl's cartoon. He was pretty dark. You know, I, I was never shy about liking She-Ra. Well, shy, I don't know. I probably didn't wear a She-Ra t-shirt. But the point is, um, yeah, I think I would have liked this. I think it would have, you know, I would have thought it was fun superhero action if I were seven or eight and nothing too girly to make me uncomfortable. So yeah, I think I, I think I would have dug it. I, think I, I mean, the, who knows? Because those days I, I pined for any shred of superhero anything yeah. in cartoons or TV shows because there was hardly anything. And now we're saturated. So I might dismiss this because why bother watching this when I can watch Teen Titans and Doom Patrol and Young Justice and every other single and probably Dial H for Hero next week. So every other <laughs> single it's, it's a thing that age, ever man. appeared in the DC universe is... Is, is going to have its own TV show, you know, within the next year or so. But I think there's something here for, for eight-year-old Noah. What about you? I don't think so. I, I Because yeah. I'm, I keep thinking of my pop culture diet sort of being before comics and after comics. And now that doesn't count today because comics aren't a thing. But that was like the formative building block in terms of my impressions and my taste level and my education for things. That really helped pro, uh, bring me along as a, as a reader in the universe. Because I didn't read books as a kid. I read comic books. Taking in supernatural natural fiction and, and things like that hero fantasies is really um, where I'm at this really wouldn't have appealed to me just because uh, if, if you get me before I start reading comics then maybe but afterwards then not then definitely not because I figured oh I've seen this stuff better in other places and if maybe beforehand you have to get me pretty young if I was six or seven I might have punched through the sort of feminine girlier aspects of it I guess maybe that's another thing too you mentioned the Shira thing I think I had a bias against what you would you consider feminine brands and so I didn't watch Sheer because I thought it was for girls not that there wasn't the same exact same level of animation writing and villains who weren't who were in He-Man but because I thought oh this is positioned for girls somehow it's not for me Marinette your alarm's been going off for 15 minutes you're going to be late for your first day back at school got it mom I bet you anything Chloe will be in my class again four years in a row is that possible definitely Lucky me. Don't say that. It's the start of a new year. I'm sure everything will be just fine. So, Bill, is there anything at all about Miracle-less, only the best? I'm sorry, I don't have the lyrics <laughs> written down in front of me. Miracle-less, the luckiest. You could tell this was written in French. The power of love, always so strong. Yeah, this is not written in English. No. That's not a good transition. No. So, is no. there anything about Miracle-less or whatever it's called or pronounced that you think augurs the end of the world, the apocalypse? I don't think so. Uh, you know, there is um, something here that appeals to younger children. And I do think it, I'll stand by my assessment that it runs out uh, when you get to a certain age. I mean, most TV shows do. Unless you're like our generation who just refuses to let go of this shit and say like, oh, the original G.I. Joe TV series was, was shit. You know, like, look, I'm the G.I. Joe guy, but I'll realize, look, 
the show was not a great show. I have nostalgia for it, but it was not a fantastically written show uniformly throughout. But we hold on to all these things as if it's some like measure of personal, like, oh, it would invalidate my childhood and, and somehow uh, change the past if I acknowledge that He-Man wasn't a very well-made show for the most part. <laughs> Um, uh, there's, there's something like that happening here where this is right in a wheelhouse and once you get outside the wheelhouse it's not doing anything other than the fact that the guy was cynical how many fucking Disney products are not made in a test market lab where they're rubbing nail polish into rabbit's eyes to make sure that it's not irritating. I mean, it is formula <laughs> driven by committee to the nth degree. Even the Pixar stuff, as groundbreaking as some of this stuff looks, I mean, every now and then you get like a Big Hero 6 or, an, or a, a, a Moana. I mean, those are two different animation studios, but you get my point. There's a lot of stuff that, like Incredibles 2, was to me a retread of the first one. And it's really well done, and it's it's really spectacular, but it's very familiar. It's very samey, and it was kind of safe. And that is at the the high dollar end of the spectrum for this kind of thing. And this is the low TV end. This is the stuff animated in Korea, not made in Emeryville. But I don't think that any of it's apocalyptic. It's just merely run of the mill. So at at best, at worst, it's harmless. You know, which is probably right. as best you can say about children's. If a children's show is a passable entertainment novelty that just goes away like cotton candy and water that may be the best thing. Unless it's got some kind of nutritional value you want them to retain, which I don't think this does. This is a nice diversion. Put it on in the background while you're, you know, smoking a pack of Marlboros wondering what you, what you <laughs> what what mistakes you did you made in life to get to this point. How, how do I how do I get this little rug rat out of my hair? I'll just how, how do I plop do, him in front of the how do I, TV I, and I got to Casey Anthony myself out of this situation. <laughs> Casey Anthony is a verb. Uh, I agree with you, basically, although I will say you you brought up the Pixar thing. I'm going to say something that might be controversial, but I actually think this is better than most Pixar movies. Holy shit, shots In fired. That, as much as I like a lot of the Pixar movies, one of the things that bothers me about them, first of all, yes, they are built by committee formula, the lab with the nail polish and the rabbit size. And sometimes I find that grading, even though like this, it gets good results often. Pixar is very consciously trying to make its movies to appeal to all ages, and they largely succeed. This isn't. This is for children. And there's a part of me that really appreciates that. It okay. feels yeah, a little I, less I, I, I see what you're getting at. So it's, when I say it's better, I mean it's it's more successful at accomplishing what I think it should set out to accomplish in the first place. You know what I, I'm saying? I think you're... Like, you're, I'd you're, rather watch a Pixar movie, but I'm 43 years old. No, I think you're appreciating the specificity of this, whereas yes. Pixar, Pixar yes. movies, someday, there's something thematic in a lot of cases that are very nonspecific. I do, I do agree with right. you on that one. Because sometimes just the constant poking me in the ribs with stuff with so many quote-unquote kids movies, I just find... I'm like, leave me the fuck alone. Like, just entertain a child, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that's sort of how I feel about this. Like, all right, good. This isn't for me, but this better not be for me because... I'm a grown-up. I'm sorry. Like, I-, I had a moment where I was like, hmm, is this animation a little too sexualized? Like, the sequence where Marinette turns into Ladybug, she's, like, sticking her butt in the air and lifting her leg. And I'm like, is this too sexualized? I'm like, no, it's not too sexualized. You know, this is what 16-year-olds look like, and they stick their legs in the air. It's not mm. sexual. It's only right. sexual because I'm a fucking pervert. And the problem here isn't the animation. The problem here is that I'm a 43-year-old pervert watching a cartoon <laughs> for children. <laughs> Uh, it's like people who used to say, oh, Batman and Robin are gay, like, because they're rolling around wearing hardly any clothes. Yeah, because seven-year-old boys roll around wearing hardly any other clothes. And know. when Batman and Robin were created in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, they were created for seven-year-old boys. They're not gay, they're children. Miraculous, multiple 
what about Ladybugs fills you with jealousy? Tell me. Uh, in reading about how this came about, Thomas, what's his name, had the idea. And then it apparently just sounds like that, that some some producer just parachuted in and said, I want to run with this. And then like cut to the next paragraph where they're like getting, um, you know, $10 million to produce it. And it's being announced at, you know, major conventions. Like I always wonder, like these people who it just seems like snap their fingers and the power structure picks up on their project. Whereas, you know, every time I've tried to get to a newer echelon in the entertainment business, I just get door slammed in my face or people ghosting in meeting on meetings and stuff like that. So I'm jealous of that. This guy had some Thomas, whatever, had some pedigree in the animation business, but a lot of people do. So how come his idea? I mean, maybe it was a crapshoot. Maybe he knows how to play the game. I, I don't know. But yeah, the idea that he immediately got inten- attention from people who could make shit happen. Because I feel like so many times I haven't been able to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I, th- you know, that's funny because that's the one thing I would say is that this guy, Astruc, had the formula in mind. He came up with the cookie cutter idea. Whatever it is that you, you roll a ball of wax around the floor and whatever it picks up in every corner, somehow everything that stuck to it was appropriately the thing that you needed to sell this project and a little bit of what turned me off and how referential and you know bordering on generic it it, it, some of the elements were are all the things that kind of made it successful and if you had that sort of synthetic mind where you could design a project from the ground up knowing full well the pieces you needed to maximize success i'd probably hate myself if i if i knew how to do that Then again, I wish I could create anything that was um, worthwhile, much less something successful. But I'll just... That's always this on the show that we're jealous of, yeah. Yeah, I'll just I'll just stick with the the idea that this guy made this thing, like you said. Somehow he fooled the mandarins. He got past the sensors. He he climbed up the window, used the diamond to, yeah. to cut a hole in the glass. And he got inside and he sold the thing. And he's he's wealthy beyond belief now. And whatever that's worth, the guy's doing it creatively and he is playing the game at a high level. And uh, you know maybe maybe because he cynically did it is another reason why it bothers me too. Well, why do you think he cynically did it? I well I think he cynically did it because. Um, you know, he realized he wanted to sell a thing and he knew that there's a way you can build a formula to optimize your chances. The cynical part was all the pieces, the DNA that's in this is, is repatriated from so many other things that are so obvious. But again, kids this age have not seen it yet. They knew that studio executives and or network people who were looking to sell things don't give a shit whether this appeared in Swamp Thing comics. They don't give a shit if this appeared in... <laughs> Trigun anime uh, episodes. They don't give a shit if people have seen this before. If it's the new thing that can I, play on Netflix. I, I'm not, I don't think it's quite so cynical. I think All right. someone wanted to make a fun superhero story that was somewhat, you know, girl powery, and, and they did. And yeah, they're making money and they're selling it. Good for them. You know, I, I, I do creative stuff for a living. You know, I can't criticize that. So on the Felonian scale, Noah, where does this yeah, apply to you? Where On the, the, oh, the scale of like z- a, zero to Jimmy Fallon, where does this, where does this uh, fit? This is very low. This is like one one thousandth of a Jimmy Fallon. Okay. If less. I mean, this is good. This is, you know, at some point I'm going to take all the things we talked about And I'm just going to rank them. Top end will be the greatest thing I ever (laughs) have experienced in my life. So, like, number one will be the movie Fargo, which we haven't looked at, but it's probably my favorite movie. Mm -hmm. And bottom will be Jimmy Fallon or, you know, heat death via nuclear attack. We're going to do that. That'll be our episode. As soon as as soon as the Orange Goblin like starts the nuclear war, we're going to do an episode. I don't get it. Nuclear death. So I would give this I'll give this 16 Shopkins 
and <laughs> and, really? and maybe a, maybe a Doja Cat. There we have it, huh? Yeah, Done. Never we're gonna d- watch this again. <laughs> That's funny. Usually, you wait till we turn the microphones off to say yeah. that. Yeah, no, I'm never gonna watch this again. No, I take that back. You know what? If I'm stuck with my niece and I run out of doing some arts and crafts thing with her, and I just need to keep her busy by having her watch something, I will gladly turn this on. Fair enough. And, and share in the experience with her. Just never going to watch it again alone. All right. Good enough. All right. So everybody, if you would like to find past episodes of the show, go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Tweet to us at Noah and Bill Show. Write to us, Noah and Bill Don't Get It, and gmail.com. Visit I Don't Get It Podcast.com and give us a review. It's 2019. Let's start afresh, guys. Let's just drop the hackles. Let's let's just even it out. Let's be friends. Give us a fucking review, okay? Let's be friends. So yeah, no threats. Uh, I'm on Twitter at William Scurry. I'm on YouTube AM Caesar, and this guy here is I am Noah Tarno. Hello. No, I'm all about the big quiz thing. Bigquizthing.com. Corporate and private trivia events nationwide. If you're in New York City, which there's a good chance you are, we have a rare public event coming up. Our I believe seventh annual Big Oscars quiz thing happening February 24th at our usual Oscars quiz thing venue. We, we were elsewhere last year, but we're back at Le Poisson Rouge uh, in Greenwich Village. We do an Oscars-themed multimedia trivia game show, big prizes, and uh, then we do a screening of the Oscars on the big screen. So that's happening Sunday, February 24th, Oscar Sunday. Tickets on sale now at uh, lepoissonrouge.com. I'm tweeting about it, big quiz thing. I am also at Noatarno, uh, Big Quizzing also at Facebook and Instagram, and yeah, BigQuizzing.com, all that good stuff. Big prizes and big asses. That's what we know the. That's what we know the big what? quiz for. That's that, that's See, what you told me. That's written in your in your marketing materials. Yeah, exactly. That's that's why I haven't. Please cut that out. A production of American Caesar Enterprises, 2019.